Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast, which delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 105 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. You are joining us for Perfecting Your Poop <laughs> and all about, yes, all about constipation. Uh, but bowel regularity is a serious concern and often, even with clean eating or doing all things correct, Let's face it, we all feel better when we are emptied out and not dealing with bloating, distension, or compaction, and it happens to the best of us. Yes, it does, and we don't talk about it enough, you guys. I mean, in our initial session, we have, what, like 10-plus questions about poop because it is so important, and it does tell you you know, how you're digesting and assimilating your food, um, and constipation is definitely you know, more common, I think, than, than the average person thinks. I see it all the time in clinic. And we always tend to, um, you know, gather on how people don't perceive constipation, but then when you're asking them how often they're having a bowel movement, it may be one every other day or one every two to three days. And it's like, oh no, that that's constipation, man. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. What one person's normal is, they're like, oh, yeah, totally normal. And when you dig deeper into, you know, you're going three days without or more than that or once a week, you know, that might be your normal for the past 10 years, but that doesn't mean that that's ideal. Yes. And so we're going to talk all about the whys as well as, of course, as always, functional medicine, uh, root resolution interventions and supplement strategy. We're also going to talk about how your bowel ritual can be thrown off with things like travel and stress. And there is stress influence on the parasympathetic nervous system, but even in a, a ritual sense. So just recently, for those of you that uh, <laughs> held it down with me when I attempted potty training with Stella. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. We, we gave that up after the three day run. Um, she's only two years and two months, so we're going to restart. But it was so interesting because I was so stressed type A about, you know, her and like, you know, making sure that I anticipated her having to urinate. So I was like getting up earlier and, and I was still drinking my butter and coconut oil keto coffee. But I think because I was under emotional and mental stress and I didn't have a relaxed ritual of like being at my computer, answering emails, sipping on my coffee, that I, during her potty training, had three-day bout of constipation. Oh <laughs> so it was just, it was just like one of those like, okay, like this is exact feedback of my body saying like, you know, you're, you're running on empty girl, you're overexerting, you're disconnected. Um, and I think it, it resonated with Stella as well. Both Stella and I were constipated. Oh, <laughs> so terrible. Relax and regulate yeah. and stress relief and belly massages for both of us. And here we're, we're over it. We're on the other end of the spectrum and uh, we'll try potty training in like another four to six months. Four to six months. Oh my gosh. Like not only are you at wit's end with stress, but also constipated Feeling on top of it. Disgusting in my body. The yes. Worst. Yep. 
totally the worst. It is. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. So let's get into today's topic um, by first off, Allie, defining constipation, because I think this is really important. A lot of clients don't identify themselves as constipated per se. Um, yes. Or you might even not realize that that what's going on with your poop isn't normal. So how do we right define? and. And let's, I guess, first talk about what poop is. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, so, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting. We see so much value in what, like Becky said, when we're talking to clients, we spend about 15 plus minutes talking about their GI tract. So from the top down and we, as we get to kind of the central area, we ask about food sitting heavy. We ask about bloating, distension. Um, we ask about any urgency, bowel formation, if there's undigested food particles, if there is an oily sheen at the surface of the water, which would speak to malabsorption of fats, if there's mucus, you know, so we're we're asking so much specifics and then formation, density, um, if it is a soft sausage-like snake that stays in its integrity when the toilet flushes or if it disintegrates upon flushing. <laughs> so much can be told by the output of your excretion. Um, and so, you know, 50 to 80% of your stool or poop, you can use those words interchangeable, um, but 50 to 80% of our stool is actually comprised of bacteria that has, you know, inoculated or been set up in camp in our intestinal um, tract. And it's comprised of, again, 50 to 80% of bacteria, excluding the water, and then the remains of what they have as byproducts from the food particles of what you've eaten. So a lot of the stool actually has still viable bacteria strains. Some of them are dead. And then we're also going to get, of course, some of the cells of our intestinal lining that kind of shed through that processing or passing. Um, but And then along with that, celluloses like vegetable fibers and then our own, again, tissue. So we will see most commonly as the main malabsorption uh, vegetable fibers. So we'll see things, especially like thin skins, like bell pepper skins, um, tomatoes for sure. Yes. Tomato yep. skins, th those soft skins for sure. And then, um, some people, if we're going to see like leafy greens, asparagus, stuff like that, that means generally speaking that that individual doesn't have enough digestive enzymes or enough of a bacterial population, because again, the enzymes uh, have compounds to break down proteins, fats, and carbs, as well as vegetable fibers like hemicellulose and cellulases. Um, and these are going to help to break down those vegetable fibers. And then the bacteria population eats at those prebiotics. That's what feeds the probacteria, the good bugs, and um, should really metabolize the compounds so there should not be still visible remains. So we look at stool both, it, there's a Bristol stool chart that can be used that a lot of practitioners refer to. And that gives us types from one to seven with one being those like rabbit pellet, hard lumps, um, which may be difficult to pass type two being like a knotty kind of formation with many, um, pieces of marbles that might be in one collaboration that might have strain as well. Type three being more of like that sausage formation, but a little bit more dehydrated type four being the soft snake sausage that will still be formed 
Type five would be more of, it could be like sausage, but it's going to disintegrate in the water and, or might be more like softer blobs or or flakiness that we'll see. And then six is going to be more of what we see as I call like a cow pile where (laughs) I know it's delightful, um, (laughs) where we're going to get like a frozen yogurt output or really soft, really not well formed um, and sticky. And then type seven would be like a watery diarrhea without any formation. So there's always that kind of scaling from one to seven of this dense rabbit pellet to watery diarrhea. And that will tell us a lot about, again, the composition of our gut biome, the intake of dietary fiber, and then um, as we'll get into today, a lot of other components, including nutrient deficiencies and um, also our stress access. And then hydration status, I think we'll get into as well. Yes. Um, I'll see if we can link to this chart just because, guys, there are uh, little illustrations that go along with each one. Yes. It can be kind of helpful in visualizing. Um, so on Yeah. The, yeah and, and you want to balance between like a three to five in general. Three to four is kind of ideal. Yeah. So four is like perfect poop. And my husband just loves – I showed him this once and he's like likes to report back to me now that he was – whenever he's a type four – comes out of the bathroom. <laughs> like, thanks, Byron. Thanks for letting me know. Um, <laughs> but it is, it's important. And, and to have these visuals, again, it helps you realize that maybe what's going on is not so normal, even if it's been normal for you for years. Right, so, right. All of that said, constipation would be on the end of like the type one we were talking about, type two of like the hard, dense. But let's define now that we've talked about what poop is and kind of this scale, let's define um, what constipation is. So, you know, generally speaking, like I said, because the microbiome or our gut bacteria comprises 80, uh, about 80% of the composition, a lot of the role of constipation is going to be based on either having suboptimal probiotics. So we could be in a semi-sterilized gut state or being in a dysbiotic state where we have imbalanced bad pathogenic strains or yeast overgrowth, and that's throwing off our microbiome. And that can be further compounded if we have um, a lack of dietary fiber. So if we don't have that food source, those long chain fermentable compounds for the gut bugs to live on, Or in the sense of like SIBO with the FODMAP diet, if you have an overgrowth of bad bacteria, that's where then you would need to reduce the fiber for a period of time to really starve off. And that's the same thing with the specific carbohydrate diet. We're using fiber as a fuel source. So we'd want to starve off and remove either the FODMAP foods or those longer chain uh, carbohydrates as we're resetting the biome. So it could be too much fiber in a mismanaged gut, which is overfueling the bad bugs. It always starts with the bacteria composition. And then fiber is, you know, do we want to feed it or do we want to starve it basically? So that's one whole component. The other thing we look at is stress. And, you know, we, we've heard of this concept of fight or flight mode versus rest and digest mode. So if we're not honoring that parasympathetic rest digest, we actually will see paralysis in the gut. We can see some levels of gastroparesis where we don't have optimal mechanical uh, signaling essentially in the stomach all the way down our intestines, which is our peristalsis or that pumping to move fecal matter and that bowel motility. 
And then we can see adding insult to injury when we're in that stress mode, a sterilization of the biome, which hits our first impact, as well as a reduction in our digestive enzymes. So we're getting larger food particles. We're not getting the enzymes to break them down. We're sterilizing the bugs that break them down. And then we're slowing down the neurological impulse to move the matter. So really stress can drive paralysis of the GI tract and really holding, like what happened to me <laughs> with potty sure, training. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and then on the other end, some people with stress get increased peristalsis where they get like um, they'll call it nerves in their stomach and they might get rapid motility. So stress can impact on either end, but I think is often overspoken as a driver of constipation. Awesome. So I think that's super helpful that, to know that there can be kind of different entry points or different whys. Um, and then what about the role of um, inflammation and yes. also nutrient deficiency? Let's talk about those two. Totally. So inflammation, and I think the biggest thing that brought that to light was celiac disease and seeing, you know, this actual genetic influence where a certain compound, gluten, be that with celiac disease, can drive inflammation on the intestinal lining. And, um, you know, that's more of a severe inflammatory response, but people with celiac disease will either have both ends of the spectrum, extreme watery diarrhea or chronic constipation. And we can see this even when we run like the MRT test, inflammatory foods of any source. So if someone is reactive to lettuce or blueberries or beef, you know, they will have often chronic inflammation and that can kind of create this like puffiness and swelling in the intestines, especially as we see that in the colon. And that will slow down the ability of the fecal matter to release essentially. And so that can create really dehydrated stool um, and can definitely create constipation. And then nutrient deficiency will help both with um, the nutrients that are needed for smooth muscle and neurological function. Um, and then also nutrients that regulate that stress access. So if we're depleted in some of those nutrients, that's going to upstream hit us on an inflammatory level, on a muscle relaxing level, which helps the bowels to relax and release. And then on that neurological level, as well. Awesome. And I know we often think like B vitamins in that sense. I'm sure we'll get yes. further deeper into it, but B vitamins, especially B12 with nutrient yes. drivers of constipation for sure. Often that connection is not made and, and it's a huge, huge piece of the puzzle. And we're going to talk in a little bit about best forms of magnesium because that's something that's often misunderstood yes. as well. Awesome. Okay. So beyond just the why or these different entry points of why constipation might be occurring for someone, um, it seems like more women than men are dealing with this. So do you think it's just because women talk about it or is it because <laughs> there's hormonal impact? I mean... So there's both actually anatomical and hormonal impact. It's a great point to make. And I think that uh, it's another thing that we need to kind of honor and understand within the variances within our body. So, you know, women have wider pelvises than men. So our internal organs, you know, we have uterus and ovaries, whereas gonads are external organs, right? So men's sexual organs don't take up space that interferes with their 
anatomy of their intestines, essentially. Um, and so our uterus and ovaries are in that same region. And, and there's definitely a connection and somewhat of a, of a competition, if you will, for function. Um, and a lot of women notice this uh, during their periods. They'll either get more constipation or loose stools when they start their first or second day of their period because there's a lot more inflammatory mediators or inflammatory chemicals that are working to shed that uterine lining. And that can have a direct impact on the function of the colon. I know personally, I tend to have like a looser stool on days one and two. And, and that's something I've always kind of come to associate. And, and it's an interesting connection to make. Yeah. Um, and, and so that there's definitely a anatomical impact there. And then because of that, that means that women's colons are going to hang a little bit lower than men's. They're also going to be a little bit longer. They have to kind of work around <laughs> those internal organs. Um, it's averaged around 10 centimeters that a woman's uh, colon is going to be longer, which does make up more room for the bowel or fecal matter to move. And then because men don't have the uterus, especially women that have had children and have had stretched out uterus, um, a man's abdomen is going to be more rigid and that's going to create more like tone in that area to help to move the GI tract more efficiently. Whereas women, um, especially women, if they're dealing with like diastasis recti, you know, they've had that, that perforation within the abdomen wall from carrying a child, that's going to definitely play a significant role with the tone and the, the way that the bowels interact. And so, you know, making this connection a step further beyond female anatomy, this is really what as a lifestyle factor to support healthy bowel motility, um, we want to focus on like Pilates and yoga and planks, things that create that muscle tone in that abdominal internal area to really help to create that muscle function and the nerve to muscle signaling. So something to kind of be, be food for thought there. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I and think we talk about that piece enough. And then what about, um, connecting to something like endometriosis? Yes. With that, I'm thinking that would create even less right. surface well, be- area, I guess, if you will. Totally. Or, or because fusion. yeah. Right. With endometriosis, we can get, of course, um, fibroid activity and growth, right? So that's going to expand wider and drive more inflammatory mediators. And so both with endometriosis, one of the big puzzles is, of course, managing excess estrogen in the body. And the other thing is working with anti-inflammatory compounds. And every endometriosis client, I put on my inflammazyme, um, which is the enzyme formula that is not digestive enzymes. It's called proteolytic enzymes. It's enzymes that break down tissue buildup in the body. Um, so it helps with reducing fibroid size and it does help with um, supporting digestive function. And it's also going to give things like bromelain, turmeric, and anti-inflammatory herbs to help with the inflammatory chemical signaling. And then I often during cycle time have women up their EPA, DHA extra. So their omega-3 fatty acid and my super turmeric, which we use like a natural alternative to like a leave per se, right? And NSAIDs, um, because that helps to block the same inflammatory chemical signals like COX-2. It's a COX-2 inhibitor. Um, so it's going to block inflammatory chemical signaling. It's it's going to help to keep the bowels on track, especially if you're someone that gets constipation during your cycle time. But it also makes the cramps less um, inflammatory yeah. and just all the yep, the swelling and the bloating and all of that cycle stuff, which we'll have a women's hormones episode coming soon. So yeah. stay tuned for more on that. 
Yes, yes. And then beyond the anatomical piece and the inflammatory influence and the hormonal influence, um, what about, I know birth control itself. Yes. And a lot of women are on that. Birth control can cause constipation. And then there are other drugs that can also yeah. cause constipation. Totally. So, you know, the big birth control plays a big impact because estrogen itself, and most birth controls are just estrogen and or estrogen with progestin, never bioidentical progesterone. So often birth control is going to drive estrogen dominance or suboptimal progesterone. And estrogen drives vasoconstriction, progesterone drives vasodilation, um, estrogen holds water, progesterone helps with a diuretic effect. And on the uh, colon, the effect of estrogen has been shown to slow colon motility and drive constipation. Um, So we can see constipation and bloating as well as nausea and vomiting as effects of birth control. So that's a big one to be mindful of women. And then the other two drugs, opioids, we often acknowledge in the medical field. So especially when people are like doing cancer treatment and they're on those high dose opioids, constipation can be a big risk for sepsis where the you know colon can perforate and create complete bodily havoc. Um, opioids really, as their pain managers, tend to very significantly slow bowel motility. And then antidepressant drugs also can dehydrate the colon. So those are three kind of areas of consideration. Okay. And then what about certain foods driving constipation? So there can be that unique element of, again, what drives inflammation in the individual. So be mindful if you're someone that deals with chronic constipation, I would probably first start with the microbiome and we'll dig a deep, a little bit deeper there, but you may want to consider that MRT test to look at what's driving inflammation. There are structural kind of rules as far as foods that have high amounts of tannins, which would be like unripe bananas, which would have lower sugar, but those are going to have higher tannins. And the tannins, generally speaking, tend to reduce the speed that food passes through the gut. So this is also seen with persimmons, um, which aren't very maybe commonly consumed, but persimmons and unripe bananas are the two biggest known kind of constipation drivers. So I always pull bananas out of kiddos' diets when kids are dealing with constipation. And then cheese, And dairy, and that's likely due to, with the cheese, the concentration of the casein protein. Um, And then grains and gluten are the other kind of big thing that I pull out, which is counterintuitive because, you know, we've been told for so long to eat high fiber foods for constipation. And that usually means wheat bran, which is super concentrated in gluten. And so many people, even beyond the celiac population, have inflammatory response to gluten. So that can definitely work against us in the long haul. Sure. Plus those things can be really abrasive on the lining of the gut, which just exactly add to that puzzle. And, and with the gluten too, I'm thinking like, you know, for myself, and I know we've both had awful stories of like five plus days after <laughs> gluten exposure, not getting, oh my gosh, getting gluten on vacation. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, with travel, I'm thinking that's definitely a thing, right? I'm not the only one who's dealing with no. travel and constipation. Yes. And it's the worst. So it it has to do with a couple factors. So one is, yes, you might be getting accidentally glutened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so the biggest thing to do with travel or dining out is to always take my digestate enzyme 
because that's going to have, or an enzyme, you know, that has DPP4. And that is going to be a compound that breaks down the gliadin, that inflammatory protein in gluten, as well as the caseomorphin or the inflammatory component in um, cheeses or casein protein in dairy. So that's a good insurance policy of even if you're ordering gluten-free or if you're indulging in cheeses for them to be less of an impact on you in your bowel motility. And then the enzyme is also going to provide you, of course, the components to break down fats, proteins, and carbs and give you the components to break down vegetable fibers. So if you had a little bit of stress during your travel and you weren't um, producing as much digestive enzymes, that's going to help to support. So I'm also always going to double down on enzymes during travel. That helps a lot. And then the other thing is often movement is reduced, like if we're on a flight. Um, so that can have an impact. Ritual might be thrown off. We're running for the airport. A lot of people, I'm one of those, like if I don't have my morning time, I might not go. Like I need my rituals, right? (laughs) Yep. So sad. Um, And so ritual and movement are huge. And then the other thing that gets thrown off often with travel is our electrolytes because of that and then hydration status. So we would think about the enzymes. We would think about consistency and traveling with the wonderful white powder that is relax and regulate. (laughs) Um, So, so helpful as far as giving that magnesium bisglycinate, which is going to be that neuro muscular form of magnesium. It's going to help with that peristalsis that can often get slowed with stress response. And then if you're someone that gets high stress and you know that, you might even consider if you're not already taking the Calm and Clear and or GABA Calm to help your system to be more resilient or less hyper-reactive to stress. And I notice, for instance, like if I'm staying at my in-laws versus my own parents' house, I take more GABA calm to help with my bowel regularity because I just am more on edge. It just it just is. So um, that tends to help a lot. Okay. So stress regulation is huge. And then that relax and regulate, I would say, is an essential to make sure that you pack some either in a little Ziploc baggie or um, the whole container if you're worried about yeah. you know, your suitcase being gone through. But I just went to Mexico with a big old bag of white powder and they let me back into the country with it. So there you go. <laughs> and then I would say, um, I don't think we mentioned on GI lining as well. That would be kind yes. of an insurance policy along with the digestive, right? Yeah. So the GI lining powder, especially if you're dealing with, or you know, you have food sensitivity, or you just want to protect your gut from inflammation. Maybe with travel, you're going to be drinking more alcohol, or again, you're eating out of your direct control. Maybe you're not getting in your bone broth or some of your gut supportive foods on a regular basis. The GI lining is a great tool to help to coat and soothe the intestinal tract so that you aren't dealing with that leaky gut or inflammatory response. So totally, especially when I'm traveling for business, I'm always doing an extra scoop of GI lining because as we've discussed, stress alone can drive leaky gut. We actually see depletion of L-glutamine when we are put under situations of social anxiety, public speaking, and you know, all of that tends to trend with travel for me, even if I'm enjoying myself. Yes, definitely. And I'll make sure we link to our episode on staying on track with travel because there's a lot more there around bowels. And um, you know, if you're traveling to a country where the water or food might expose you to pathogens, we've got a lot more tips yes. in there as well. Uh, but we'll Great. we'll save that for show notes. And then before we get into our food as medicine tips and other functional ways of addressing constipation, 
I want to talk a little bit about some of the over-the-counter commonly used medications because this isn't talked about enough. So I yes. can tell you how many folks I have on Miralax, for example. Let's start with that one. Oh my gosh. And and people in the medical field that are well-educated and a simple Google search, which you guys know I'm not a huge fan of, but just saying, um, a simple Google search will tell you that none of these over-the-counter drugs are supposed to be used for long term. Right. And so many people have been on them for years. It's so, so scary. Um, so yeah, Miralax. So so one form of a laxative or um, when we break down med- medications used for constipation, they're generally going to be um, laxatives or stool softeners. So laxatives, one of the main forms is going to be a hyperosmotic, which that's where Miralax falls. And so this means that this drives water into the colon, essentially. Sounds safe, right? However, Miralax um, has really only been approved by the FDA for age 17 and over, yet many pediatricians and general practitioners use this off-label with kiddos. And there have been so many um, court cases about children that have dealt with behavioral issues. I'm talking loss of speech that was already prior developed, anxiety, depression, um, insomnia and and like mania and neurological and psychiatric symptoms that have been seen in kiddos. And the main ingredient is um, PEG. Oh goodness, I thought I had it in my notes. I apologize. Um, I think it's uh, it's numbers, um, but it's propylene glycol. And um, there's a lot of court cases. And in fact, the um, FDA just granted the Children's Hospital in Pennsylvania um, to do a study. And they started this in 2014. Can you look it up, Becky? Pro- yes. Propylene ethylene glycol, I believe it's yep. called. Is that correct? I think um, so. What PGE, and there's numbers like PGE 3551 or something like that. Um, Five zero, right? Close. <laughs> PEG though. Yep. Polyethylene glycol. Okay. Yep. Yes, yeah. and so it's it's a compound component that drives that hyperosmotic. But we've seen neurological and behavioral issues, and um, with that PEG three three five zero, that study that started in twenty fourteen, they found one hundred and sixty seven cases already in this research study of adverse side effects. Um, And they've also found in third-party assessment that Miralax powder had small amounts of the same toxic ingredients found in antifreeze. Oh my God. So So, scary. So like, no, like we need to figure out why our kiddos aren't pooping and we need to work with their stress access and we need to give them nutrients, you guys. It's not that difficult. Give them, we'll get there in a moment, but, but just please... This is my PSA. Um, <laughs> get them off of the Miralax, everyone. And adults too. If this has an impact to that level on children, there's no reason why y'all should be taking it daily. So the next world is um, emollient laxatives. So these are stool softeners. So this is like your docosate. Um, and this is like seen in coles, for instance. Some of the side effects can be seen as bloating, cramping. Cramping is going to be the big one that we'll see with most laxatives, obviously, because it's 
trying to push bowels out. Um, diarrhea can be a side effect, irritation around the rectum, and throat irritation, which is interesting because a lot of people on colase and dulcolax, dulcolax is a stimulant laxative, um, there'll be that side effect of throat irritation. And I've found clinically a lot of people that have had to have relied on dulcolax or colase to then have to down the line go on Nexium because of quote unquote silent reflux, mm. which is probably that throat irritation from the drug in the first place. Okay. So, so interesting. And then beyond that, you know, we're looking at um, like teas and other kind of stimulants. um, Yep. Senecott and smooth move tea and all of those. And X-lax. Yeah. So those use senocides or bisacodol as their main ingredients. And these are other stimulants. So stimulants basically increase the motion of our our villi, the the intestinal lining. We'll we'll tend to see cramping with stimulants as well. And um, the big concern with all of these laxatives, regardless of their mechanism, is that they can throw off our electrolyte stability. Um, Remember, the colon's main job is actually to reabsorb fluid and to balance out electrolytes and work hand in hand with kidneys um, in doing that. And so often we'll see kidney damage over time. We can see muscle loss. And then even more concerning, we can see loss of colon function um, or healthy bowel motility because the if we're driving with a stimulant laxative that's over responding on the villi, the villi then loses its natural function of how to create that peristalsis. That signaling isn't needed, so it kind of shuts down. Um, so all of those are, are widely concerning for varied reasons. And then the last category would be the bulk forming laxatives. These are like Oriole C or psyllium husk, which psyllium in moderation and in a blended formula can be okay. Um, but when we're digging into more of the processed ones, like the methyl celluloses and the calcium polycarbophil, and we're talking about derivatives of like plastic compounds, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they don't belong in the body. And yes, their way of working is they create a gel, which is supposed to, you know, help to create bowel formation and hold that water into the stool, um, making more of a mass, but they can also trap minerals and electrolytes and throw off nutrient absorption. So we can see low levels of zinc, magnesium, uh, copper. Uh, We can see low levels of calcium. And so over time, also not ideal. Okay. So we've got the osmotics, we've got the stool softeners, we've got the stimulants, and then we've got the bulk forming laxatives. Yes. And none of these really hit the root cause. I guess the bulk forming might be starting to kind of get there, but yeah, that's, yep. Yep. You can find a cleaner and that's where fiber comes into play for sure. Exactly. But let's transition into how we would apply treatment um, in terms of getting to root cause using a functional medicine approach to treat constipation. What are the three F's that you talk about? So yeah, before we get fancy and go into these, you know, why we got constipated in the first place, the first kind of line of defense is, do you have enough fiber, fluid, and the other F is technically a P, but it's physical activity or movement. So best fibers tend to be, especially when we're talking in the world of constipation, um, plums and prunes are very good. And and we see these um, definitely as being supportive. Um, Now they do have tannins, which is interesting. You know, we were talking earlier, the, the green banana and the persimmons could drive more constipation. Plums and prunes have been shown the other way. And um, we also see really good fibers from things like carrot, flax, chia seed is one of my favorite go-tos. 
And then um, different beta-glucans, um, which can be derived from even like certified gluten-free oats. Um, and over time, we want to look to get um, about 25 plus grams a day. Uh, for those people that are doing keto and want to stay super tight keto, um, you know, you can, for instance, chia seed, a tablespoon is 10 grams of fiber and um, 11 grams of carbs. So yeah, you're getting carbs in that, but you're also getting a lot of fiber. So, you know, we generally count total carbs versus net carbs, but that's one of those where I'd be less concerned of getting into the 44 grams of carbs in that day. You're likely going to still stay very tight in your ketone production and not kick yourself out with the use of something like chia. And that really helps to get you up to that insurance policy of the 25 grams. Um, and then your cruciferous vegetables, like your Brussels, broccoli, about a cup of those vegetables provide us with four to five grams of fiber as well. So you can see how eating non-starchy vegetables and incorporating your chia seed would be an easy way to get that 25 grams a day without having to go into maybe the world of prunes or plums if, if you desire to not do so. Okay. Awesome. And then you always say this and I love it. Um, too much fiber without enough water acts like a brick and not a broom. Is that right? Is that right? <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. So you want, yeah, because you're creating bulking, but then if it's a dehydrated colon without electrolyte stability, you're going to get that brick Ouch. and you want the broom. Yes. So you want at least half of your body weight in fluid ounces of water. Um, and you want to consider, so if you weigh, you know, um, 220 pounds, this is 110 fluid ounces of water, not 110 pounds of water. <laughs> Someone got confused with the way I said that one time. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> in fluid ounces, just the same number. Um, and so, uh, yes, that'd be over three liters for that 220 pound person. You want to consider when you're getting your hydration up playing with solutes. So doing like water infusions, Becky can put a link in our show notes um, of like, you know, using cucumber slices and mint or lemon and ginger slices that adds a solute, which is going to help with your electrolyte stability. And I will say also, especially for the keto population, that's really where that relax and regulate mag glycinate is very important as well as getting your potassium in um, and your sodium. So adding enough salt to your food, eating your avocado, which is a great form of both fiber and potassium and your leafy greens and getting your citrus from your lemon and limes. Super important because you need the water with the electrolytes. And when you're very low carbohydrate, remember the word hydrate, carbs hold water with you. So when you pull out the carbs from the diet, you tend to have instability of hydration as you go into that transition um, or as your body's recalibrating. So um, be sure you're mindful about electrolytes and um, magnesium glycinate as the big driver along with your water. Awesome. And then we mentioned with the travel piece, um, physical activity is a huge piece of the puzzle as well. So what do you generally recommend? Yeah. So walking, stretching, and yoga are huge. It doesn't have to be high output. It can be bicycling as well as very good for that lower bowel motility, getting that, that bicycle movement. You could even do bicycles like as an abdominal movement with your planks as rotation. So holding plank and then um, doing like a variation of your plank, like extending an arm, kicking back a leg, flipping to your back and doing bicycle legs for 30 seconds um, and then doing like some sun salutations. All of that is really great. And I find walking to be the best really to just kind of get that, that cadence and that movement and flow. Awesome. And then beyond these three Fs, let's talk about prevention of chronic constipation and 
support of regularity. So I know we have a great um, coconut oil and prune puree. Let's share a little bit about that. Yes. So it can be prune or apricot. So dried fruit. And we'll make sure we put, I don't think this is on the blog yet. So we'll just link the recipe. We'll blog it Mm -hmm, before this goes live. So um, I call it a coconut oil constipation puree. And it's essentially a half cup of extra virgin coconut oil with a quarter cup of lemon juice, because we want to stimulate that bile flow. Bile helps just like soap removes dirt. Bile made by the liver and stored by the gallbladder helps to emulsify fat. So it can help with loose stools if you're dealing with fat malabsorption, but it can also help with pushing the bowels if you're dealing with constipation. So bitters are very helpful to support the digestive enzyme process. So lemon juice is in there. And then we soak apricots or prunes in warm water to soften them. And then we blend this on high with Himalayan pink salt. Um, And you can eat it like a jam or you can take this like a jam and mix it into hot water like a tea. Um, And so it's working on that osmotic level to bring water into the colon as well as enzyme stimulation and bowel lubrication with the fats. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I'll make sure that gets up to the blog because I'm constantly adding that to my summary emails for clients. Yes, we have it in our chart language. Um, So um, beyond that, as a, let's talk about a supplement strategy um, and, you know, using fat and omega-3s to reduce inflammation and help with that bowel function as well. Yeah. So getting in your two to three times a week of your wild caught fish or shellfish will be really helpful to keep that omega-3 ratio optimized, which omega-3s are your primary anti-inflammatory competing with your omega-6s. So um, that's also an emphasis of why we would want to eat grass-fed meats again. You know, those the grass-fed beef will have higher omega-3 fatty acid, especially if it's grass-fed, grass-finished. And then on a supplemental level or strategy, my EPA DHA extra, taking two to three of those soft gels per day will help to optimize your omega-3 scores. We see this in the blood when we do omega checks. And um, this is going to optimize that EPA and DHA, which are the most potent anti-inflammatory fatty acids that are going to promote that bowel motility and cool out that intestinal lining if there is inflammation. Sure. And then fats in general are going to be really helpful for just lubricating the bowel, right? Yes. So traveling with those packs of ghee and coconut oil, always favorite tools for sure. Awesome. And yeah, I'm telling you, keto coffee can really work wonders. That's my friend. Yes, for sure. (laughs) Awesome. And then beyond supporting with fiber and lubricating the bowel, ensuring ample hydration and fats, um, before we move on to stress, which I think is often the biggest driver here, um, yes. let's just talk about what about if fiber, fiber is not tolerated or yes. um, we're dealing with like bloating and um, constipation and cramping or cravings, all of those things might lead us to dysbiosis as a yes. cause. Right. So often my first line of defense, and we'll put a link in the show notes, is to take the um, candida quiz because it is going to speak widely beyond just candida or yeast overgrowth. It will give you information on if you would be a candidate for dysbiosis or bacterial overgrowth. And if you score high, my first line of defense would be to do the 
Beat the Bloat Cleanse, which would be with my ebook, which gives you the six-week protocol, and then using that Candida Bundle because the Candida Bundle is going to have berberine. It's going to have um, oil of oregano, thyme oil, lemon balm. So these types of compounds are going to be antifungal, antibacterial, antimicrobial, and antiparasitic. So it's the best way to kind of plow the microbiome if we're dealing with symptoms of bloating, distension, cravings, and constipation. That's usually because bad troops have set up camp. And if you don't want to jump right into that cleanse, you may also consider doing the probiotic challenge that we've spoken to, and we can put that in our show notes as well. Um, But generally speaking, if you're dealing with that distension and bloating, you need to first start with a cleanse because there's fermentation going on that's unfavorable. Um, And then down the line, if we get some change but not complete outcome, we might even consider doing a stool test with that client. But it's always better to start with just kind of, like I said, a a preliminary plowing of the field. And there are strains specifically, we see Citrobacter, we see um, on a parasitic level, uh, Blastocystis hominis, um, and then we do see Candida and other forms of yeast as the big contributors that are constipation drivers in the body. Yes. And more often than not with a client who's dealing with chronic constipation and I run a stool test, I see, you know, one or more of these pathogenic bacteria or a high amount of at least commensal bacteria or maybe not enough good bacteria. So there's usually something to it on a bacterial level for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, for people, like I said, best investment is generally speaking, starting with the cleanse because, it's going to reset and 90 plus percent of the time, I'm not sure for you, Becky, but 90 plus percent of the time I'm using those same supplement tools. Now, if you're someone that goes into, and I've been seeing with more people doing this um, Candida bundle and corresponding with me on social media and such, if you're someone that starts it and you get some outcomes, but if by week five, you're not seeing full change, you might layer on our GI Microbex. So that's just a little bit of a different tool. Um, It has magnesium caprylate in it. So it has caprylic acid. It also has wormwood and some other antiparasite and antifungal and antibacterial components, which would just add another layer for weeks five and six of your candida cleanse to just kind of be a little bit more aggressive of an insurance policy, if you will, something to consider. Yeah, that's often a, a game changer. I find if, if things are still not moving in the right direction, we bring that in. And usually we're in pretty good shape by that like week six or seven. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then on the other end, beyond eradication, let's talk about how sterility or not enough good guys might influence constipation. Yes. So often we do get a sterilized biome, like I said, from stress, or especially if you've done a cleanse, um, or if you're dealing with chronic adrenal fatigue, or you've been on antibiotics or birth control, so many things. Um, And so for these people, if you're not dealing with maybe severe distension, but you are dealing with constipation, um, you may just start with that probiotic challenge. So using my 50-50 blend of lacto and bifido, baseline probiotic, you would increase the amount you take in three-day increments. And if bowels improve, then you just transition over to my targeted strength probiotic, which is 60 billion instead of 15 billion colony forming units, and take that for about three months or up to six months. And then you can go back to that baseline as more of an ongoing support. Um, So you're really just revving up the good gut bugs to create that bowel mass to get that 80% of your fecal matter to work for you. 
Awesome. And then we might throw our rebuild spectrum probiotic into the mix if there's any yeast history or yes. of antibiotic use. Yes. So the rebuild spectrum is more multi strain focused. It does have Saccharomyces boulardii in there, which is our friendly yeast strain. So great if you've dealt with candida um, or if you've dealt with vaginal yeast overgrowth. Um, We love to use that rebuild spectrum. And then especially, yes, if you've had autoimmune flare or antibiotic um, use, this is going to build in a multi-strain effect. So 30 different strains versus just that lacto bifido. So you could take that rebuild spectrum and targeted strength. That's what I personally do one in one every night before bed. And that keeps everything rocking and rolling for me. Awesome. And then beyond the stress and gut connection we spoke to before of sterilizing the biome, let's just circle back on the stress piece. I'm sure you have a little bit more to say about uh, the connection of stress and constipation. Yes. So, you know, like I said, if we're in sympathetic nervous system, our bloodstream actually shunts out to our appendages. So we don't have as much centralized blood circulation, which means we don't absorb the nutrients as much in our food. Again, we are not going to have as much digestive enzymes. Um, That peristalsis slows significantly, and we're probably not taking time for that bowel ritual. So that can have a huge piece of the puzzle. And then this can even impact us that we see with chronic stress, like on a thyroid level. Um, we tend to see that individuals that have hypothyroid, chronic constipation can actually be beyond like hair loss and nail changes. Yes. One of the main symptoms of chronic constipation, and it's because um, the thyroid hormone itself promotes peristalsis or that pumping. So if we're under stress and we're putting out more reverse T3, not only are we slowing our metabolism and our calorie burn, but we're also going to be throwing off our bowel motility. um, And we can see with stress an increase of that endometriosis, which goes back to the increase of estrogen (laughs) that can also influence slowing the bowel motility. So stress can be, again, that Achilles heel, like with my anti-anxiety diet book that drives other disease conditions that then drives constipation as well. Sure. And then beyond that, stress can drive things like leaky gut, which in turn can cause constipation as well. Yep. And so important, like I said, if you're someone that's dealt with uh, inflammatory responses to foods, we want to consider that MRT test because, or if you've used NSAIDs like Aleve or Advil, you know, these inflammatory chemicals create like a damming in your body, basically holding back. And so that can create that swelling in the colon and that can definitely mediate inflammation in the body. Okay. Awesome. And then finally, before we get into a couple more tips on supplements and food as medicine solutions, let's talk about nutrient drivers of constipation. We mentioned the B12 prior. What else is there to look for? Yeah. So neurologically speaking, we start with B vitamins. So B12 would be a big one. Um, I love recommending the B12 lozenge for times of travel as well. And even just like stressful work days, because that can help to give you a, a pickup from fatigue and also help with the neurological conditions. We often think of B12 deficiency as like creating the tingling sensation, neuropathy in the fingers and uh, pins and needles in the hands and toes. Um, So same level, we want the nerve slow, steady, smooth impact to move the fecal matter. On top of a B12 lozenge, we'd also consider like a B complex to support neurological function. And then neuromuscularly, we're going to go for that relax and regulate that magnesium bisglycinate. So it's not the magnesium you get in like the Calm Mag products that you'll get at Whole Foods 
Foods or your drugstore. You want our Relax and Regulate that's going to have the magnesium bisglycinate and inositol. And inositol helps, especially for like the endometriosis clients, to balance out hormones um, and also helps with uh, reduction of anxiety. So it's going to help with the sleep part, the mood part, the stress part, and that mag glycinate. And then um, vitamin C is something also to consider on an osmotic level. That's where you might consider mag citrate to add on to your magnesium bisglycinate. So if you're taking relax and regulate at two to three scoops a day and you're still having like dehydrated bowels or dense stools, you might add on a little bit of mag citrate as needed, but not daily. And then, um, yeah, so that could be an added tool. Um, And then uh, vitamin C in a buffered form going up to like two to three grams a day can also help with the bowel motility. And then I think we hit, you know, the the biome stuff already and the EPA, DHA extra, and then the stress formulas of the, the Calm and Clear and GABA. So all are good entry points, just considering which part is really your root cause. Sure. And then we might, with someone dealing with chronic constipation and we're just not getting to the bottom of it, we might do something like a micronutrient panel to see kind of what else ties in, whether it's choline that plays a role with that neurological impulse. And yeah. Choline. And liver. Yes. Yeah. Totally, totally. So, so much there. Um, And before we let everyone go, let's just give a couple more food suggestions beyond that coconut oil puree that we talked about. A couple more um, go-tos for constipation. So I always, as my kind of go-to with all programs, have everyone consuming two to three cups of leafy greens. So even if you're doing MRT and you identify you can't do lettuce, then I want you to do spinach or baby kale or chard or beet greens. So two to three cups of greens, keto, any diet, first line recommendation. That's going to create magnesium and help with fiber. I also recommend if you're dealing with constipation, playing with like chia seed pudding. So about one to two tablespoons of chia seed a day. Um, See how that influences your body and then making sure you're getting your water up in association with that. Um, But uh, we'll put a couple recipes. You just did a really fun maca chia seed pudding. So that would help with the stress access, the hormone balance, and that fiber, both insoluble and soluble, to help with the constipation and motility. Awesome. So I'll link to that and maybe throw in a couple other fun recipes. Um, I would say like smoothies and and shakes would be a great way to get those leafy greens into, plus the chia, plus you're getting fluid in there. So that might be a, a big hit to do a shake. Yes. And then using, you know, coconut flour and almond flour, this is another great way to add fiber into the diet and nut butter. So I love like the nutso nut butter. Um, we can put a link to some of our favorite. Um, I love, of course, as you guys know, F-bombs. <laughs> um, so those are those nut butter packs. Um, they're phenomenal for both the bowel lubrication and um, the fiber. So um, these are really great things for fuel on the go that will help to get you up to your body's needs and promote that bowel motility. Awesome. So we'll link to all those recipes and products in the show notes. And I think that's about it for today. That was a lot. So hopefully if you guys are dealing with constipation, even just intermittent, some of these tips and tricks can be brought in to help provide regularity and relief Yes, yes. To perfect your poop. (laughs) You'll all be happier. 
more balanced humans when you have a well-formed bowel movement every day. I find that myself and I hope I can share that gift with all of you. And all I ask from you guys in exchange is to please hop over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review with a couple sentences on why you love the podcast. Um, check out all of our supplement recommendations at AllieMillerRD.com. You can click shop and check out details on all of the things. The show notes for every episode is always going to be found under the podcast tab. So you can check that out as well. And if you've received your copy of the anti-anxiety diet, my final ask is that you please head over to Amazon. It's so, so helpful for y'all to leave a five-star review and a couple sentences there too, so that we can really share food as medicine with the masses. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.